Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Reconciling Grace. My name is Pete Vecchi. I'm one of the associate pastors for West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene. And joining us on the panel today, starting up my left, we have Reverend Vicki Cundiff, who's one of the staff pastors for Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio. Then we have Mick Wells, who is one of the co-hosts of the Cross Connection radio program and who's been part of the Wells of Salvation ministry since 1980. And Steve Wilson, who is a graduate of United Theological Seminary in Dayton. He is an author, a computer game programmer, and as I like to say, all-around Renaissance man. It's good to have all of you with us today. And uh, I'd just like to start out today by referring to something traditional that is known in the church as the seven last words of Christ. Does everybody know what I mean when I'm talking about that? What, what would that mean? Does anybody want to answer that? Those are the things that he said from the cross. The last things, yeah. And, and if you look in the Bible, there were seven utterances. Not all seven of them are in one um, Bible or one, one book of the Bible. But when you combine the things that he said that are recorded, they are, there are three or seven different things recorded in the gospel messages. And those are known as the seven last words of Christ. Well, I thought I would start out today by telling you that there are also the seven last words of the church. You know what they are? Count with me. We never did it that way before. (laughs) The seven last words of the church. And I'm going to be talking about um, something that I guess I'm just going to call the the topic today, sacred cows. Um, There's an old uh, joke that I heard. Now, I'm going to use the denominations that I actually heard this in because there's a Lutheran friend of mine who originally told me this part of the joke. He said to me, how many light how many lutherans does it take to change a light bulb change (laughs) okay i thought that was pretty good he was lutheran he was allowed to say that then i thought about well i'm nazarene well before that though i'd heard about the baptists and all their committees and you hear how many baptists does it take well it takes you know 14 because first you got to go through this committee then you got to go to the other committee and then finally you can change the light bulb And I thought, well, what about me in the Church of the Nazarene? How many light bulbs does it take to change, uh, how many Nazarenes, I should say, does it take to change a light bulb? You can't change that light bulb. My grandfather put that light bulb up there. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, that's kind of what we're looking at. There are things, yes, it's, it's, light bulbs are superfluous. They are, they are meaning nothing. But, you know, there are things in the church that if you look at it, and I'm not necessarily talking just the church building. I'm talking in the, in the Church of Jesus Christ, where things have become almost objects of worship themselves rather than ways through which we worship God. And so I looked up the term sacred cows, and um, what does that mean? Well, I, I looked up the, the all-purpose Wikipedia uh, version here, and Wikipedia says this, sacred cow, idiom. A literal sacred cow or sacred bull is an actual cow or bull that is treated with sincere respect. 
a figurative sacred cow is a figure of speech for something considered immune from question or criticism, especially unreasonably so. And you know, when I'm thinking of the, one of the first sacred cows in history or sacred bulls in history, think about um, that, that um, bull that Aaron made when Moses was up on Mount Sinai. They worshipped that cow or that bull. It was made of gold. Golden calf, I guess, is the proper word. And um, that was truly to them a sacred calf, I guess, sacred cow, whatever. And there was something that was worshipped, but wrongly so. It should never have been worshipped. So I thought it might be fun today to start off by looking at some of the things that maybe some of us have experienced in our lives, in our ministries, that have tended to seem like they are sacred cows within the church. And so one of the things that I thought I would do, I'd start it off just because it's my topic that I'm leading today, and I didn't want to put anybody else on the spot without my first sharing. So one of the sacred cows that um, I remembered, um, first of all, I'm going to share actually two. One of them was very close to my heart. If you all heard my testimony uh, when I gave it here on Reconciling Grace, you know that I was saved as a result of a vacation Bible school. And so vacation Bible school has often been very near and dear to my heart. But as the years have gone by, society has changed, cultures have changed. Um, you can't just willy-nilly have a vacation Bible school anymore. You know, you're going to have parents who are wanting to know uh, all kinds of things about who are the teachers, have the teachers had a background check, have the, uh, are the plans exactly for this minute, this time, whatever. You know, it's just smaller churches can't necessarily always have a vacation Bible school. That doesn't mean they shouldn't try or whatever, but at the same time, if you've had a church that's had a vacation Bible school year after year after year, there are some people who will look at you like you are absolutely nuts if you decide not to have one. I remember not long after I was called to pastor a church. Now, this is the second illustration. Um, I was, I went to that church, I believe I started there like in the month of August. And it seemed that, and I'm not sure exactly the month involved, but it seems like for the several previous years to that, there had been a certain get together a certain fellowship with a certain theme and i'm not going to say what that theme was because i don't want to uh, implicate the particular congregation and i knew absolutely nothing about this theme i knew absolutely nothing about um the party i knew uh, how it was done because it wasn't done at the church it was done at somebody's house i had no idea about preparations that would be made for it and so i just didn't pursue it well, apparently some people never forgave me for that. And it ends up that there was one person in this congregation who didn't get saved at that particular fellowship one year, but it got that person to start coming to the church and then that person got saved. And so all of a sudden it was as though, well, you have to have this particular fellowship party because somebody got saved through that once. <laughs> and in my opinion, that particular party became a sacred cow. So I've gone on and talked for several minutes now. Um, I'd like to know, does anybody else have any ideas here about maybe what were uh, some sac sacred cows maybe that you've experienced? Mick, did you have something you wanted to share? Well, yeah, kind of. The 
years ago, uh, we decided in our local church to change the orientation of the seating. And so things in the sanctuary, we had loose chairs, not pews. Okay, so we were all facing forward and there was a cross on the wall behind the, the pastor and everything. And we said, well, let's just do something a little different. And a few of us with the pastor's approval moved all the chairs to orient sideways in the room. Didn't that make it hard for people to look at the pastor over their shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> no, we moved the pulpit too. But, you know, uh, you, you never know. The whole point was uh, whether you go to heaven or hell is not based on the orientation of the seating in the room. Right. But I have to tell on my own uh, deceased father, who is a retired minister uh, in his life, he he was the arch conservative on most anything, but that did not exclude uh, churches. And uh, he's he was a creature of habit, and so he was walking around the sanctuary, and he was obviously grumbling and so forth. I said, "What's wrong?" He said, "Well, you know, we're pointed sideways," and I said, "Well, what's wrong with that? You know, it's the same Jesus, it's the same pastor, it's the same parishioners, etc." He said, "Well, I just don't like change. I just don't." like change and uh, I got to thinking after the fact that it's hard to tell what people's reaction should be uh, whatever we do in uh, church worship should be focused primarily on the message and ultimately the gospel of Jesus Christ and so I would hate to do anything to distract from that but uh, I consider that the seating arrangement may have been a sacred cow for maybe not just my dad, but others also in the congregation. Sure. And that kind of leads to something I think, Vicki, uh, you and I, and actually the rest of us are also talking about, kind of goes along with seating. What, what was yours? Well, I think sometimes it's pews versus chairs. You know, whether you should keep the pews in the church or go to chairs. The thing about chairs is that you can rearrange them like you guys did. <laughs> <Still> faded. <laughs> and you can even put them in a circle. You can have dinner in there, you know, if you get them all to purpose room. Um, and it, it doesn't really matter. It just all depends on what people want. Uh, but some prefer the chairs and some uh, prefer, prefer the pews. But one thing that I thought of while you were talking, Mick, and you said, he said, I just don't like to change. And, you know, we really see that in the church where people don't, you know, like to change. And so why do you think that is? You know, one, one idea that I had, I don't know how you guys feel about this, is the world changes so much on the outside everywhere. But, you know, we adapt to those things. Do you think that it's possible that's why people don't want to change in the church? They like that. At least that's their comfort zone. Yes, comfort. Think I, think, possible? I think that's exactly the right word, comfort, comfort zone. That's that's great. Did you ever have a situation where where – chairs versus pews was a sacred cow in a con congregation you were part of? Uh, well, when we were building a new church in Middleport, um, they recommended, the Church of Nazarene, like the, the district, whatever, because you got to go through the properties board and all that, mm -hmm. they recommended that we get chairs, but the, the it was a small church and they were against that. They wanted their pews and we're going to pad them. And we even had a slanted, they wanted to have the slanted floor with, they were recommending that we don't because of what we could do. So that was an instance uh, that they pretty much were insistent on that, and and that that's mm -hmm. okay, you know. Yeah, I think it was Steve a long time ago. Um, this just came to mind where um, you and I were talking, and this is several years ago, 
where we were talking about the fact that so many of our sanctuaries are set up to make it look almost like like a, a production where all the people are focused on one other person. Do you happen to recall talking about that many years ago? I think it was you and I talked about that. But uh, even if you do or don't remember, I know that there was another um, sacred cow that you were thinking about sharing with us. And it kind of had to do with how you were brought to church when you were a kid through a motorized vehicle. What was that vehicle? So, uh, yeah, I used to be sent to church by my dad on the church's van ministry. And uh, I know a lot of churches have transportation ministries, buses or vans. Um, and then you know, it seems like the trend now is not to have those. But there are some places where we have the van, we better use it, or you know, something like that. But then it was probably, probably close to 20 years ago now or more when um, having a commercial driver's license or something really started to become a big thing where you couldn't just have a volunteer grandfather just go and pick people up. So that kind of has become a sacred cow in some places as well. Um, that was maybe something that you haven't experienced, Steve, where, where it's actually caused a problem in a church, but it was just one of those things that I know that uh, affected you uh, when you were a child because you had a van ministry, and a lot of churches don't have those. And I know Mick's been pointing at the clock for me here, and I, I realize it is time. We do need to take a quick break for our commercial, and we will be right back with Reconciling Grace. And we're back with Reconciling Grace. We are talking about sacred cows. And we just got done talking about one type of sacred cow that I thought that maybe uh, would be very interesting for Steve Wilson to bring up about van ministries because he was first sent to church as a child on a van. But during our break, Steve said that he had one other one to bring up. So, Steve, what would that be? So after I went to church on the van, uh, that was at a church of God my childhood church, uh, but as a teenager, I went to a church of the Nazarene, and this church of the Nazarene had Sunday evening services, and that was always, uh, you know, it was, it was less well-attended, um, and so the church eventually decided, you know, we're not going to have these Sunday evening services anymore, and I remember I was upset with that as a teenager because, well, the Sunday evening service was a special time, but even more so, it was a sacred cow for me because I was going to that service because it was another opportunity to see my friends in youth group. Mm -hmm. And so I was uh, kind of putting that in a special place, not for the right reason. That's almost a perfect definition of a sacred cow, and uh, I, I would never have thought that a teenager would have something like that, but that's a great insight. I appreciate your sharing that, uh, because I know the Sunday evening services uh, that have been very traditional for many, many years, decades, um, in the Church of the Nazarene are oftentimes going by the wayside now, and uh, so that's an excellent example. Thanks for sharing that. And one of the things that I wanted to note here is that the idea of today's episode is not to make fun of or be critical of the way that things are being done in any particular congregation or any particular denomination, but rather to make sure that the methods themselves 
do not become the objects of worship. And that's kind of what you just said, Steve, about being a sacred cow, the, the, the method, the, the Sunday night time for you to be able to see your friends and interact with them um, was becoming almost the thing, I don't know if you would say you were worshiping it, but it became more important than, um, than the fact that uh, you, you were there to worship God. So with that in mind, let's look at some scriptural applications and some scriptural thoughts about this. So Mick, I've asked if you would please read from the book of Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 9. Sure. The word says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is, quote, devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. That is very strongly stated by Jesus, isn't it? Um, People worshiping God in vain, following human rules. And one of the big things that... I think about when I think of that is how some people have actually let themselves be driven away from their churches, from their congregations, because some tradition was changed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about the big T, little T. When I talk about big T traditions, capital T, I'm talking about the traditions that Jesus instituted or that Jesus um, demonstrated for us, such as baptism, such as Holy Communion. Those are things that no church should get rid of, if you ask me. Um, And there is a lot of church history that would, would support me in that as well. But then there are all the little traditions, whether they be van ministries or vacation Bible schools or pews or seats or or whatever it might be, that these things might change. And it is really, really sad that people will let these kinds of things stand between them and loving other people, even within their congregations, who might see things differently. I think something significant about this scripture, though, is they took on a tradition for themselves that nullified the Word of God. And we should never have a tradition that's going to go uh, against scriptures and not take, you know, they broke the commandment that, that God said to honor your parents and to take care of them. It made me think of the scripture from 1 Timothy 5.8 that says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's true. And that's a really good point, Vicki, because I'm sure that there are things that we have made, what's the word? Sacred cows. I shouldn't say word term, sacred cows. We have probably all of us at some way, some point in our lives, maybe we've all been to some church at some point of our lives that have put a tradition, human tradition, over the word of God and maybe not even realized it. Yeah. Maybe not even realized it. And I think that's a key. And so I think Jesus was here pointing this out to these people because... Um, there's nothing wrong 
with wanting to support your synagogue or your church in our case, but um, the way they had been doing it, the way they had come to start doing it, had had become a way of standing in the way of what God preferred. So you're talking about people leaving churches. I'm going to go ahead and bring up the music topic. Okay. Uh, Music uh, was a a big dividing line as churches tried to contemporize, Mm -hmm. try to be more welcoming. So they said, well, let's get rid of these hymns and uh, let's put, you know, some some newer music um, in the service and let's get rid of our hymnals and let's put the words up on the wall so then people will feel more uh, welcome when they come in, you know, be able to attract new people. And I thought, hey, that's great. You know, that is uh, the church as a whole saying, you know, maybe our sacred cow was this this kind of old music and we want to do God's will. We want to bring new people in. But then I always think about, well, what about those people who find those hymns meaningful, mm-hmm. you know, and, and who say, well, okay, now you're basically changing everything that I find meaningful about this church mm-hmm. in order to reach a new group of people. So... I always want to say, okay, yes, follow God, but what can you do to keep the church, the church for those people? Mm-hmm. I for think, me, I think it, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. For me, I think it's still having the hymns and doing both. Um, I think that there can be a good mix with that. Um, there's even um, new artists that have, uh, have, you have like the WOW CDs and have the hymns uh, on those, but... I remember one time uh, being in a church where uh, there was a song, and I won't say which one it was, but it was a well-known song, and they changed up the tempo so much that you couldn't sing it because you knew it by a certain way. So I think you could could change your music up a little bit on on a hymn, but it's basically going to have to be the same. But don't you think some some of the hymns are timeless? Things like, um, uh, it's left me. (laughs) It is well with my soul. Uh, what's the one I'm thinking I of? I hate this one. Amazing Grace. It's timeless, but I can't remember it. <laughs> How Great Thou Art. How Great Thou Art. Okay. Uh, there's, there's certain uh, hymns that they're, just, they're timeless because they're just going to affect you greatly every time you hear them, and so mm-hmm. you can't do away with those. Right. And but, I, I'm, but I'm a believer in, in the, I love the new music, and, that's, and the times mm-hmm. have changed, and that's what people know. I think a mixture. Mm-hmm. I think some need. of the churches have uh, addressed that particular issue by having two services that are different that's on what I, yeah, that's what I like. Sunday morning. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I suppose an option would be to, to mix it up, but that in any given time, half the <laughs> congregation doesn't like what's being sung, right. I suppose. Another, another sacred cow that I've seen happen has been service times, mm-hmm. has been one service or two. Heaven forbid if you have one service and you want to go to two, and heaven forbid if you have two services and want to go to one. It's just the way it is. But I think, Steve, to get to the one of the answers to your question of, of what should we do about those people, I think that when we're looking at this in the, in the idea of sacred cows, we're not necessarily saying that the, the music itself is always going to be the sacred cow, because there's nothing wrong with trying to reach new people. I think that the sacred cow becomes a sacred cow in the heart of an individual person. So there have been times in my life where the Lord has led me to go to a different church or a different denomination um, because of things that were going on in that 
particular congregation or denomination that weren't necessarily wrong things, but it just wasn't the way that the Lord was leading me to worship. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, every single time a little thing happens, you go running away. No, you do this prayerfully. And there might be situations, like you mentioned, Steve, with them changing the way they do music, or it might be some other change where God might lead some people to leave, but he might also lead some people to stay. He might bring some new people in. And I think the idea of a sacred cow is, what is that situation in that person's heart? You know, because you look in the Bible and God led some people to go uh, all across Asia and Europe evangelizing, such as Paul, while he led Peter to stay in Jerusalem. God calls different people to do different things. So I think that's a great question that you had. Um, And while we're at this idea of sacred cows, I asked Steve if you would read um, Matthew 9, verses 14 to 17. Then John's disciples came and asked Jesus, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now, I know that when Jesus spoke these words, the main thought here, and I'm going to be using this big term, exegesis, um, which is something that you learn in Bible college and seminary, um, the way you look at this is, well, what did Jesus mean when he talked about this? And, and when he was talking about the old wine and the new wine and the old wine skins and the new wine skins, most likely, primarily, he was talking about the fact that there was this old covenant and the Jewish way of doing things, and there was going to be a new covenant, a new way of doing things. And a lot of the people from the old covenant might not accept the, the new ways. But as I've looked at this and I extrapolated out, I've often thought of this in terms of methods even used within the church. Because, Steve, I think your, your example of, of the music is a great one. You know, what about those people who need the hymns? I'm not just going to say that they, they just like the hymns, but those hymns are very, very uh, meaningful, and they truly, truly help these people worship. And that does not make these people wrong, and that does not make the hymns wrong. But at the same time, if you want to reach somebody who is maybe 17 or 18 years old and has never had a church background, you're probably not going to be able to reach them as well with hymns played on an organ. Which ones are right? Which ones are wrong? Well, don't try to force the new stuff on the old people and don't try to force the the, the old stuff on the new people. It's just one of those things that that methods are methods, and they do not necessarily have to be right or wrong. The only way that things that, the only way that they're made right or wrong is if you are following what the Lord is saying or you're not following what the Lord is saying as far as the method. So that was an important thing for me, and this is where I get at the overall message here. The overall theme of what I'm trying to get at is that there is a difference between method and message. We should not place too much emphasis on methods 
lest those methods themselves become the objects of worship. In college, we had a theology class where we called this ritual versus ritualism. Ritual is worshiping God through a certain method. Ritualism is worshiping that method. Now, the message has to remain the same, but the methods may need to change based on times, places, circumstances, and people. Now, I really wanted to keep going on this, but the clock shows me that we are just about out of time. I hope that you have been educated, that you have been benefited by hearing this panel discussion about sacred cows. So for Vicki Cundiff, for Mick Wells, for Steve Wilson, this is Pete Vecchi. May God bless you. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.